I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 8 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1. If we can send a man to the moon... This year, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of one of the most famous and inspiring events in human history, NASA's Apollo 11 moon landing on July 20th, 1969. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin only spent about two hours and 15 minutes on the moon's surface, but their successful landing in front of a worldwide television audience and eventual safe return satisfied President John F. Kennedy's national goal of landing on the moon before the end of the decade. Kennedy's speech to Congress proposing the mission is well worth revisiting, as it is both hard to imagine hearing something like this today, and also still clearly illustrative of the downright audacity of the goal and mission, which was intended to display America's spectacular strength and capability. Since early in my term, our efforts in space have been under review. With the advice of the Vice President, who is Chairman of the National Space Council, we have examined where we are strong and where we are not, where we may succeed and where we may not. Now it is time to take longer strides, time for a great new American enterprise, time for this nation to take a clearly leading role in space achievement, which in many ways may hold the key to our future on Earth. I believe we possess all the resources and talents necessary, but the facts of the matter are that we have never made the national decisions or marshaled the national resources required for such leadership. We have never specified long-range goals on an urgent time schedule or managed our resources and our time so as to ensure their fulfillment. I therefore ask the Congress above and beyond the increases I have earlier requested for space activities to provide the funds which are needed to meet the following national goals. First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long range exploration of space and none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. Neil Armstrong, the first astronaut on the surface, obviously provided the world with quote-worthy material, even if it's been transcribed incorrectly, when he reported, that's one small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind, which, come to think of it, makes a lot more sense. The nation and the world was enthralled by the culmination of the near-decade-long Herculean efforts that led to the launch. One million people watched from the highways and beaches around the site. 3,500 media representatives were present from 56 countries. The launch was televised in 33 countries, and 25 million Americans viewed it. Game of Thrones numbers in 1969. Millions around the world listened to it on the radio, knowing that mankind was on the cusp of something grand and that history was being made. In fact, When then-President Richard Nixon called the astronauts from the Oval Office upon their landing, he called it the most historic telephone call ever made and the proudest day in the lives of every countryman. 
Armstrong responded that it was a great honor and privilege to represent not only the United States, but men of peace of all nations, and those with interest and curiosity, and those with a vision for the future. Aldrin responded that the feat stood as a symbol of the insatiable curiosity of all mankind to explore the unknown, and that the efforts included more than just the government, the industry, and the nation. Poor Michael Collins just floated above in the lunar module. Shout out to Michael Collins. In summary, the accomplishment was bold, audacious, grand, coordinated, and history-making. I apologize for stating something so obvious and revisiting the specifics to prove a point that you already knew, but if you're under 50 years old like me, then this event didn't mark your consciousness at a specific point in life. It's a success that's been complete during your entire existence, making it easy to respect but more difficult to truly appreciate. We take for granted when people say things like, if they can send a man to the moon, why can't I launch a podcast, for example? Or that digital currencies are going moon. Or that bold programs within organizations are called moonshots. In fact, these parlances and mindsets exist because something astonishing and revolutionary has been done, which in and of itself proves without a shadow of a doubt that in the face of mighty challenges, when great minds and efforts are brought together, something astonishing and revolutionary can be done. Which is good news, because this is an order. Who among us is looking at the next 50 years without questions and concerns about incredibly heavy subjects, requiring coordination from institutions in which many have lost faith? Our future, and specific to this industry in this series, our energy future, is demanding that we are bold today. Major challenges lie ahead of us, and in this final episode of season two, I can think of no one better suited to discuss these challenges and what they require from us than our next guest. Annette Clayton is the CEO and president of Schneider Electric North America, who, as we'll also learn in our discussion today, has had executive experience at companies like Saturn, GM, and Dell prior to our fortune of bringing her onto the team here. We were honored that Annette would agree to spend some time with us as a guest, but also not entirely surprised. Annette is an avid champion of the Schneider Electric Organization and its mission, and it's certainly been my experience that she is more than generous in her time in proclaiming our message and supporting employees just like myself. A front-of-mind example of this that I'd like to share with you all is that it only took her one hour and three minutes to accept my request as a guest with an excited let's-go-for-yes response. Annette's pride in what we do is clearly evident every time she speaks, And you'll hear that conviction in her voice as she identifies the bold challenges and opportunities that lie ahead of us in our field today during this episode. We had a lengthy conversation, and just as we did in the season opener with KP Reddy and Shanadeep Modak, we've decided to break Act 2 into segments today for our season finale in order to highlight the most impactful portions of the discussion for our listener base. After our break, I'll lead us into the next segment with our final quote of the year, and then we'll hear from Annette in her own terms with an interesting way of introducing herself, an identification of who has served as a role model for her, and a description of several bold achievements that have inspired her throughout her professional career. We speak with Annette Clayton in Act Two. Act Two. When you're getting ready to launch into space, you're sitting on a big explosion waiting to happen. And you have to reach a level of comfort with that risk. 
Sally Ride. And with that, let's dive right into our conversation with Annette. Annette, the first thing I want to say is, is just to, to thank you for joining us. It's a huge privilege for us to have you on. Uh, we really do appreciate you coming on as a guest. It really is meaningful for you to join us here on this finale episode of season two. So thank you so much. Hey, the next story up has become famous, Tyler. I, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and it, when, I, when I knew that you were going to join us as a guest, there was no other way that I could start this than by stealing a question that you've asked me previously, which I thought was so creative and interesting. Um, so I want to share it with the audience. But what you asked me was, if you could wear a sweatshirt with one word on it to describe you, what would it say? And I'd love to know what your answer would be to that question. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for the comment on the question. I I wish it were my question, but I've actually stolen it from someone before. But I, I think it's a good reflection of who you are and what your personal brand is and causing you to think about it. And, and in my case, it's really been as a change agent, either a change agent for customers, a change agent for shareholders, or for even our own internal teams. And so I would say my sweatshirt says change agent, but Tyler, what does yours say? Uh, so it, mine, I, I thought so much about this when you sent it and I actually cheated and sent you two. And I think I said my natural one would be curious. I'd want it to say curious because I think when you're a curious person, it naturally leads you to wanting to learn different things. And I, who doesn't benefit from that? But I also said listen would be one to sort of remind myself about what's important. I need more work on that to listen. So I, I chose that one and it changed my trajectory for sure. Um, more, more in line with the topic at hand, in the intro today, we talked a lot about space and the space race and, and all the great things that happened in the 60s. And one of the things that came to my mind was lots of children decided that they wanted to be astronauts when they were kids. Is that ever something that you wanted to be when you were growing up? I, I don't think I wanted to be an astronaut. I think I'm a little uh, a little afraid of heights, and that's that's a pretty high job. So, but I was very taken by especially Sally Ride. I mean, you probably know Sally was one of the first female astronauts, and you know she was an engineer, a scientist, and and certainly when I was growing up, she was someone who I admired. And later in life, I had the opportunity to actually meet her, and you know she was as impressive in leadership as she was as an astronaut. And I, I think she really did shape some of my thinking about you know, my own study and career path. For sure. I think that there's something to space and kind of what it represents. And I think it inspires a lot of people. It's really cool that you got to meet the first female astronaut. One of the other things that you know, we talked about in the intro here was sort of the, the spectacle that it was to get to space. And it made me think about you know, a million people on the side of the road or at the beach watching this launch, knowing that history was going to happen. I was wondering, what's the boldest achievement that you've witnessed that you've been able to take inspiration from and why? Uh, and maybe what, what type of factors made that, that these achievements possible? You know, Tyler, it's an interesting question. I thinking even over the course of my career, you know, I started my career with General Motors and I was fortunate enough to be involved in the EV1 program. Okay. You know, and this was the first electric vehicle that any major car manufacturer had launched, and it was really groundbreaking. And what made it possible was the sheer will to create the ability to store enough energy to propel this vehicle at a reasonable speed and distance. We all know it was ahead of its time, and the miniaturization of storage is probably what's really triggered, and the affordability of storage is what's really triggered now the latest electrification, but the EV1 was, you know, it really was a bold achievement at the time. 
I think, you know, the, maybe the second one that I could reflect on would be the advent of mobile computing. You know, I had started with Dell when desktop computers were a big part of its business. And as components became faster and more miniaturized and customers demanded ubiquitous data, mobility became really, really important. And you think about what made that possible was just the sheer customer adoption that would drive people to leverage this computing power in the palm of their hand and have all their data at their fingertips. So that was really a fun one to be a part of. And then, you know, maybe one recently, or at least in the last decade, has been the transformation here at Snyder. I joined the company and we had the ambition to be a world-class supply chain for our customers. And over the course of many years, we came from really being relatively unknown for our supply chain capability to being number 11 on the Gartner top 25 supply chains in the world and one of the top industrials. And you do that in order to drive excellence for your customers so that you can actually deliver on the promise that the teams have made. So I don't know, those are probably three that sort of stand out for me. <laughs> those are really, really good answers. And I think that the exposure that you've had in your career to those type of achievements is, is really impressive. And what I love about that answer is it was set against the context of space, which is this huge, bold achievement that I think people look back on all the time. But when you talk about electric vehicles, which we're still striving for today, you talk about the age of mobility, which has driven everything that's happening for the way we consume our data and information to the way buildings are being altered now. And then to supply chain and, and this shrinking of the world and, and connection to everybody, you've really been involved in three huge world-changing type of achievements in technology. And it's easy to understate that because it's happening in real time, but they're extremely significant. Well, it's better than calling me old, Tyler, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Next. I'd be remiss not to ask our CEO guest about managerial approaches that work best for her and how those lead into the way we can tackle some of the more ambitious projects lying in wait for our future. Part of what interests me about the space race and in the 60s and, and everything that was achieved there is obviously the feats that NASA was able to accomplish and the fact they did something great. Another is just the speech that I shared at the beginning of Kennedy and, and how that leadership resonates and how interesting that was and motivating it was. And he shares, uh, he starts by sharing that he's been wondering, where are we strong and where are we not? Where may we succeed and where may we not? And it sounds like a tough question for a leader to answer, but a, a pretty essential one. How do you go about doing this in your role? I guess, Tyler, every leader probably has their own sort of managerial process. But one that honestly has worked for me is what we shorthand calling it the SWOT analysis. What are your team's strengths? What can you really play up? What are their weaknesses? And what do you have to compensate for, either with talent or process? You know, what accelerators do you have? What kinds of things could you know lift the team and carry them forward faster? And then what are the threats? Because we know we don't really live in the world by ourselves, but there are other things happening around us. And one of the things I've realized now over many, many years of, you know, managing big projects and teams is that when you're after something sort of big and hairy and audacious, like going to the moon, you, you get that done sort of one incremental step at a time through accountability and celebrating the small successes along the way. And I think everything big gets done that way through many, many, many steps. And that's where the resilience of leadership really comes in. When I was doing my research for this episode and I was reading up on NASA and the Apollo missions, one of the things that came up often was that incremental approach. 
when the U.S. landed on the moon, it wasn't the first time that they went into space. It was this incremental thing where they had to learn different things in order to ultimately make it happen on that mission. So for you to talk about the incremental nature of leadership and goals in that context is really, really fitting. Um, Kennedy is calling for, I was going to say essentially, but he's calling for a moonshot. This is kind of the first moonshot call. People talk about it a lot now. This is a moonshot. That's a moonshot. What are some of your favorite moonshots? Well, you know, there, there's, there are so many. I mean, honestly, uh, when I think about some of the work that we've done, even in my tenure, my short tenure in Snyder, I, you know, one of the things that's happened just recently, which could be really interesting to talk about, is our leadership in microgrids, you know, this renewable energy into the grid. And one of the joint ventures we've just started with the Carlisle Group is called Alpha Structure. If you think about why did we name it Alpha Structure, we named it Alpha Structure because we realized that we would be working on infrastructure projects and programs for the alpha generation. And maybe one of the most interesting is you probably know that our airport infrastructure in the United States is, you know, on average 45 years old. If you think about we're actually working on renewal of airports, the electrification of airports. And we're building these for the alpha generation. You know, it is an amazing, not only bold idea, but an amazing project and initiative that is creating the infrastructure that people that are just being born today will be using. And it's very, very exciting. To have that long view built into the name of the brand says a lot for what you're trying to achieve. I mean, you're trying to alter the future in a positive, better way for a future generation. And truth be told, I did not know that was why Alpha Structure had its name. So that's a really interesting piece of information for me to learn here. Next, we'll discuss our customer base. Where do we see organizations taking the lead on big challenges? Where do we see implementations of lofty goals being pursued with intention and with vision? Kennedy also says in his speech that it's time to take a clearly leading role in space achievement. Obviously, that was the context of what he was speaking about there. Where have we seen some of our customers take clearly leading roles in what they're doing? I think probably a couple examples. Maybe our internet uh, web giants, they have had to take a clearly leading Mm -hmm. role because of the explosion of data and and the need for for data centers and for computing power. They really couldn't copy anyone else. They had to sort of invent their own way forward, and we've partnered with them to obviously do that. Maybe maybe another one that that comes to mind is, is hospitals, right? So hospitals are concerned about patient care and patient recovery, and some of the hospitals that we've worked with have have discovered that patient noise and patient temperature and the environment that they're in are actually highly correlated with their recovery. I think it's one of the ways that hospitals have really taken a leading role in the achievement of their patient success. So we have many, many customer examples, but maybe those are just kind of too top of mind. I like those two a lot. We've had some hospital-oriented episodes in this series just because it's such a critical environment and it's the type of thing where you know in buildings we're always talking about occupant experience but the patient experience is the most vulnerable and sensitive experience so it makes a lot of sense to talk about that as a as a, an area where where customers need to take a clearly leading role and the internet giants is something that you know we haven't investigated in this series but absolutely need to because to the extent of what we talked about earlier with mobile and data being at our fingertips at all times they were thrown into a really difficult situation and had to figure it out and pioneer their field. So that's a, a really, really great answer. I like that one a lot. 
We also learned in the speech that part of the problem, according to President Kennedy, for facing his challenge was that we'd never specified long-range goals on an urgent time schedule in order to, to achieve what he was trying to do. Where have you seen valuable long-range goals at Schneider Electric that are on an urgent time schedule? Yeah, I, I see this in Snyder, and I guess I, I really see it in our customers as well. But, okay. you know, we have a net zero 2030 challenge to be carbon neutral by the year 2030. And we're obviously using a lot of our own solutions to achieve that. But many of our customers, they also, either because of their shareholders, their employees, or their own social conscious, have sustainability objectives. And they come to us to help them find their way because many times they know what problem they need to solve with respect to their sustainability objective, whether it be a 50% reduction, 60% reduction, 100% reduction by the year 2030, 2035. They know what they want to accomplish, but they don't know how to accomplish it. And that's where we really partner with customers to help them achieve their sustainability objective. And they're always for different reasons. I mean, some customers are clearly on the climate and the protection of our planet and our society, but some customers are focused on, you know, look, less energy is less money, and in this case, less is more. And so we work with customers to help them achieve their sustainability objectives. And I think these are typically long-range goals, but it's urgent because yeah. we know what we're facing in the world with respect to climate change. That's something that I take a lot of pride in day to day in my role. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this, whether they work for Schneider or, or not, are familiar with these challenges and the urgency of the time schedule on that front. Agreed. Yes, agreed. The upcoming segment is short, but packs a punch. And we wanted to deliberately highlight this point. Listen to how Schneider Electric assures that when it comes to sustainability, we practice what we preach. Kennedy concluded his speech uh, and this is the last thing that I'll touch on with Kennedy, I promise, um, with the challenge. And it's a famous one. So he says, I believe that this nation should achieve the goal before this decade is out, obviously about getting to the moon and, and, and returning the astronauts safely. Is there one thing that stands out to you as a goal? Yeah, I, you know, I think, especially as I reflect on Schneider and, and what we're doing, I mean, we're really showing the way in yep. sustainability. We're, we're walking the talk. And I'll give you an example. Not only are we helping customers do this, we, you know, we hold ourselves highly accountable. We, we have a planet and society barometer inside the company around the categories and the areas that we hold ourselves accountable to improve. All of our executives are compensated on that. They all understand it. They all work on it. And it's it's not even a debate. It's not negotiable. And I, I think in a true kind of change the world way, Snyder is really walking the talk in this area. That's a really neat point that the executives are held to that. I don't think that that's a very common thing. So it's 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 good to know. And, and obviously, it, as you put it there, uh, it makes sure that we're walking the walk and, and true to what we preach. Lastly, we wrap up with concepts like the Internet of Things, data, and the energy dilemma, and how we can approach that effectively with an open architecture. And we finish, as normal, with a question that teaches us why Annette actively pursued our industry. And astute listeners will pick up on the reappearance of the word change from our introduction today. You, uh, Annette, are a famously competitive person. If there's one thing I know about you from our interactions in the past, it's that you like to win. Usually, in order to do that, it requires strong vision and planning. Uh, the challenges that we've talked about today, all of them, from the things that you've done in, uh, in your career to the things that are still in front of us, are bold and daunting. What will it take for us to achieve the missions that are in front of us, uh, in your opinion? 
We're a company that is at this very interesting intersection of the Internet of Things, the massive amounts of data, the connectivity of everything, and the energy dilemma. And to be honest, my view has been that we're in the best position to solve this dilemma. And a lot of it is due to the fact that we have an open architecture, right? We realize that our customers, even ourselves, we don't have monolithic environments. We have these very diverse environments of of equipment, of processes, of software, and we can operate in that open architecture. And, And isn't that really the impetus of of ecostructure. This is a technology stack that goes from connected products to our apps, analytics, services in a cyber secure way. I mean, this is this is what we do. And ecostructure has really brought all of this together for us. So I really think that's how we're able to pull it off. We've got an incredible ecostructure offering for the domains, and we've got this open architecture approach, which makes us unique. It does make us unique, and it makes it makes us exciting. Um, I think it makes our jobs and, and the world more exciting to have an open architecture approach. And frankly, it's made a lot of the episodes in this series possible where we've been able to focus with one company and one platform on specifically talking about airports or hospitals or office buildings or hotels in environments where their challenges are all different, but where we can be nimble and agile due to that open, connected approach. And I'll also say that I think what's really neat about your answer versus what you talked about with the SWOT analysis before is in a world where the opportunities and threats are changing so frequently and so often, and it seems like that's happening faster than ever, It helps to be nimble and not monolithic and stagnant. Yeah. I have a favorite question, Annette, that I like to answer everybody that comes on this show. You've probably heard it in previous episodes, but I I try to ask everybody, why are you excited to be a professional in our industry? Tyler, I actively pursued working in this industry, right? I think we're at a moment in time where we have a lot of impact as a company and as individuals. And when when you look at the fact that 70% of the world's energy is being consumed in buildings. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the battleground. This is where we win or lose this energy dilemma. I mean, this is, this is where it's at. I'm excited to be a part of this company, this, you know, this segment. Look, I, I, I think, I think we're going to see massive amounts of change and we're going to be part of massive amounts of change. And it's really that simple, right? We're in the battleground. You have always found where the action is and you've always found different ways to win and succeed. So I'm excited to be here with you and I'm really thankful that you joined us as a guest today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Annette. All right. Thank you, Tyler. I'd like to thank Annette Clayton for joining us for our season finale, as well as all the other fantastic guests that have made season two so much fun to record, produce, and share. I hope our listener base, who I'd also like to thank for joining in with us again this season, was able to learn and find as much inspiration from these voices as I have. This season, we experimented with the episode and guest format, as was the case today, to deliver some evolution to our approach in season one. We learned about whales, the symphony orchestra, marriage, and the moon landing, among other things. We also brought on our first guests from outside of Schneider Electric, something we aim to do more of in season three and are already determining how else we can continue to grow. If you have thoughts, please, as always, let us know so that we can consider implementation during our off season. Until then, thank you. 
and we'll meet again in the next season of the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Haig. classic question of if they can send a man to the moon and then it it ends with, you know, why couldn't I, whatever. Is this the type of thing that you've ever applied in inspiration in your career? Maybe not in those exact words. I I would say I listen for, you know, some key words, something that sounds like, well, that can't be done or that's never been done before, or that would be very complex. I mean, these are all sort of trigger words for me psychologically that probably give me more resilience to, to actually go after it, to figure out why it hasn't been done before and to find a way to do it. And so I, I think that spirit is probably in all of us, but it's truly a motivator when someone tells you that cannot be done. I think it flips the switch in me and I, I decide that not only can it be done, but we can do it. This team can do it.